You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. And we are really pleased to be joined today by a former student of mine, Cameron Scott Townley. Wow, I even got the, the middle name. That's <laughs> kind of you. CST. It's funny, I often would like to go by C.S. Townley C. S. someday Townley. in the future when I've, earned, when I've earned that distinction. Taken. Clive yeah. Staples Townley. <laughs> so Cameron has never been on the podcast, but he's been referenced on this podcast several times uh, in a slightly tongue-in-cheek, slightly derogatory, yet full-of-love way. Yes, very much so. Cameron is the pastor of Rush Creek Bible Church here in the Grand Rapids area, and uh, I think we've referred to it as the Death Star, Superstar Destroyer. It's usually a Star Wars reference, yeah. which and, I and, wish I wish the there Empire. was like a, a Rebel Alliance massive ship that we could. There is that one that a, looks like a big egg. Remember in Return oh, of the yeah. Jedi? I don't know that shape. Yes. And so you would be <laughs> the goldfish guy. What was his name? Wait, Admiral, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> oh no, Admiral Akbar. Okay, better I can take than, that. Better than Tarkin. Better than Tarkin or <laughs> Vader. So the reason that we make these references is because uh, while Matt and I are the pesky little rebellion in our churches of 150, 125 people, Rush Creek is significantly bigger. Um, and with that comes a different experience yeah. than us in, in pastoring, both the office side of things and the people side of things. But yeah. but we want to get to know you a little bit more before yeah. we kind of delve into the, the depths of ministry and the what mind that's of like the mega church pastor. <laughs> the, uh, you know, my first experience of you was as a student, as a freshman in the right. dorms when Michelle and I were running the dorms. And that was a fun experience because you were in there with uh, my now brother-in-law. Casey. And also Brian. Oh, and Brian. Yes. Oh, double. Yeah, Casey Duke, Brian Spackerman. Yeah, good connections there. Yeah, no, I first started in uh, 2006. I came as a freshman to Grace and I just had a great experience living in the dorms. Uh, it was obviously a, a different day back in then. Um, I mean, the schools changed names even, um, but I certainly appreciated my time there. It was very formative for me, uh, in terms of, of making my faith my own rather than just my parents. Um, and, but lots of great memories. Uh, I slept through one too many of your classes, uh, Matt, and so, uh, many apologies. Uh, and yet uh, that is something I look back and say, if I could have told myself one more thing is, Hey, you're paying a lot of money. Uh, to <laughs> to not sleep through classes, so there's a lot of wisdom that could be learned there. My favorite story is that <laughs> uh oh, when you brought the blanket, not the blanket, that was Jim, but was you brought me. the pillow, and I said, if you're gonna bring a pillow and sleep in the class, at least do it in the back row. So then so did I so move to did. the back you row? You moved to the back row. <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry. Cam and I played soccer together. We did. Yes, my first memory of Jim, if I could share this, was Please. was uh. Uh, school hadn't even started yet. It was like August, and so we were there for two a days early. And I had never met Jim before in my life. And he was the captain of our team. He's a couple years older than me. I was the lowly freshman. And Jim was so gung ho. He was so excited to start this new season. So he leads us. He's like, "All right, team, let's go!" So we go running off to Pinery <laughs> Park, which is a little bit ways away. And there's this big hill you have to run. And so he leads the charge up the hill, and then you go down and around. You run up that hill again, and by the third time. Jim is on his knees, puking his guts out while we're all running past him. And I'm like, well, that's our leader. <laughs> the way I thought about it is it wasn't preseason training until Jim threw up. Until Jim threw you gotta up. You got to get that one out of the way sometimes. It was good, though. It was a lasting memory. I it will never funny. forget that. I am in much better shape now than I was back then. So let's go. Which is more than I can I'm, say for myself. So congratulations. Yeah. That You're is still good. looking pretty svelte. Well, no. Nah. Not as much so, but thank you. That's kind of you to say. People are going to ask this to become a video podcast. A vlog. A vlog. But we did have fun together. Cam yeah. and I were in school for not that long together because you were kind of coming in at yeah. the end of end of my time. But I think we've become closer since then. Absolutely. Cam and I are part of a little cohort, a little group of bandits. I don't know. The thing of Robin Rebels. Hood. Rebels. <laughs> Of uh, local pastors, young pastors. Yeah. Um, there's, what, six of us now? Yeah. Where we meet together 
about once a month and just kind of talk about life and ministry. And w- lately we've been taking road trips to yep. go because we're kind of all over the region. So we've been driving to different places. Just last week we were up in the epicenter of progressive culture, Nuego, Michigan. That's how I usually describe it. <laughs> we took a walk down by the river. And it was exactly what you would expect Nuego, Michigan, Nuego. to look like. Oh man! Um, and so that was a that was a good time. We we just sat down uh, for a meal, and we were talking about how nice it was to kind of be out of town, away from our uh, people. We're not going to run into anyone. And then all of a sudden, you look over your shoulder, and up into the restaurant walks not only a one of your co-workers, co-workers our student your, pastor, Cameron Beefus. Caleb Beefus's brother. Yes. So no matter how far you go, they're always watching. Your congregation is always watching. Oh, they're going to say a Beefus. No matter how far you go, you can always <laughs> run into a Beefus. Also true. Yeah, also true. Also true. <laughs> no, that was good. And, I, you know, you mentioned that cohort of us, and that's one of the things that I'm really thankful for, because when I first came to Grace in 2006, the Lord had not yet laid it on my heart to go into ministry but he did that over the, the next two years, really. Mm. And one of the things that made me most nervous about potentially stepping into pastoral ministry was that I I didn't necessarily see a number of, of people, uh, men my age, that were also heading into ministry. The only ones in front of me, really, that I could see were you, Jim, yeah. uh, and Caleb Kemper. Um, outside of that, like the next grouping that I really knew of was Josh White yeah. uh, and John Louder, who were probably about, what, 10 years older than us? Yeah. Um, and so as I'm looking around, and I hadn't seen any of the guys that were coming behind me, obviously, mm-hmm. because I didn't know that. But as I'm looking around, I'm going, man, I would, I want to be a part of something where I can relate to other guys. I'm, I'm a people person through and through. I don't like working in isolation. I want a community of, of men that I can walk alongside in this process of being called into ministry. And so that was actually something that was working against my calling into yeah. ministry, was just looking around at the GGF and at Grace and saying, who else is going into ministry? I don't want to do this on my own. Um, and so to see where it's come from yeah. to where it is now, that even right here in uh, Western Michigan, we have a number of young guys that are that are not only stepping out in terms of their own excitement, but that they're being affirmed by the older pastors in this area yeah. and being encouraged to step into those leadership roles and not necessarily being told, hey, wait a few more years until you... It's like, well, no, this opportunity we have to, to grow into this together. And uh, then just last week we had Danny and uh, yeah. John Michael on who are kind of a couple generate maybe one generation behind us in right kind of joint so that is cool yeah to be part it's of really exciting and yeah. I, i'm really thankful that group of us that they get to get together um yeah. and just talk about life ministry uh, what it means to be a pastor in this day and age uh the awesome parts of it the difficult parts of it it's just been life-giving from from that standpoint and a good opportunity to make fun of each other we do that a lot but we do it in love mostly yes uh, mostly yeah. yeah now cam you mentioned that you went in kind of young yeah. And you were looking around for other people around you. And then from grace, you went on to seminary. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I think that actually caused a little bit of consternation um, because... Ooh, the first time that word's been used on the podcast. Oh, that's good. I love using new you words. You get something. Oh, I do? Yeah. Like a surprise? We'll send you an autographed picture of Gary Hansen. Oh, man. That is worth more than just consternation. <laughs> so I'll have to think of a better word that I can use later. Um, yeah, so I went on to seminary. I did um, three years at, at Grace and um, and then was able to go over to Grand Rapids Theological Seminary uh, to work on my MDiv. And if, if I can be honest, part of the reason for doing that was I was feeling a call into ministry, um, but when I graduated at Grace, I was only 21, knew that I was absolutely not ready to step into a pastoral role at a church. Uh, I was still uh, infinitely scared of having to preach a sermon every single Sunday, <laughs> uh, which was not something I was looking forward to. That felt like a um, a project, like a class project that you'd have to do every single week and then get up and present it to the class at turns the end of the day. Turns out you were right. And it turns out I was right, <laughs> but I just also wasn't, my mind was not ready for that side of it. Yeah. So I was still looking for something to kind of push off the calling of min- into ministry a little bit. Um, but I thought that maybe teaching could be it too. Mm. Um, and so by going to seminary and working towards an MDiv, it was a chance to give the Lord some more time to kind of hone exactly what that calling was going to be in my life. Um, and I'm really thankful for that too, because it was honestly, uh, part of the formation of me stepping, um, into the GGF as a pastor. When I went to GRTS, uh, there was, there was a part of me that was not, super excited, if, if I can be truthful, about where the GGF was at at the time. Um, while I agreed with all of the theology, 
Um, I, there was many parts of the methodology of some of our churches that I was um, maybe just not energized or enthusiastic about. I felt like many of our churches were stuck 20, 30 years behind, um, maybe where I would have liked to have seen even styles of worship, uh, music, some of those aspects that are, are very much part and parcel to um, church life. And so I just wasn't, not to mention, the not seeing a lot of other pastors stepping into that, that uh, area of ministry alongside me. But it was always at GRTS that, of all people, uh, a professor of mine, a guy named Mike Whitmer, who I just really appreciate, uh, we were having um, just a chapel time, um, but this chapel time was just bagels and conversation, which feels like maybe a really spiritual chapel time that we had there. But that sounds like a cafeteria. <laughs> It was good, but I, it was literally just in conversation while spreading cream cheese on bagels next to Mike Whitmer that he's asking me about what's kind of next for me. And and I was just kind of laying out my heart for feeling a little bit maybe uh, disenfranchised from, from where the GGF was going. And he goes, I know it sounds cliche, but be the change you want to see. Uh, don't run from it. If that's what you grew up in, if that's a theology that you find yourself connected with, lean into it and help be a part of, of changing it in the future rather than just trying to take the easy route and going elsewhere. Mm. Uh, and that will sim- simultaneously convicting and compelling. Mm. And so I really appreciated uh, that, along with a number of other ways that God was just kind of calling me back into ministry with the Grace Gospel Fellowship. So you've pretty much been involved at Rush Creek for your entire kind Career. of experience in yeah. ministry. I mean, you did some intern- an internship there as well, bef- even before being yeah, hired? Yeah, so one of the unique things was uh, that when I uh, was in the final two years of my time at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, I needed an internship, pastoral ministry internship, and Gary Leindecker was the pastor at Rush Creek at the time, and because I was attending there, and because my wife and her family have gone there their entire lives, um, Gary reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to do your internship at Rush Creek. Uh, I think there's a great opportunity for you to get involved here. I know you need one, so come do it at Rush Creek. Uh, and so that was another way in which the Lord was pulling me back into ministry within the GGF. And so I did uh, two years of pastoral internship at Rush Creek. Um, and then as I was graduating from Rush Creek, or sorry, from uh, GRTS, um, uh, they just said, hey, um, you know, we're looking for an associate pastor, uh, and we would love for you to step into this role uh, alongside John Spooner, uh, who was stepping into the lead role as Pastor Gary was in the process of retiring. And so, I, yeah, I stepped right out of school and right into an associate role at, at Rush Creek, where I then got to work underneath John Spooner for about six years. Um, and then I stepped into the lead position uh, in November of 2019, which... Uh, as we all know, was a great time uh, to step into a brand new role of leadership. Uh, you thought it would be smooth sailing? I thought it would be smooth sailing. And The next six months are going to be the best of my life. <laughs> and within six months, uh, our attendance dropped to zero and all of our ministry stopped. And I'm sure you guys have talked plenty about COVID on this podcast, so I don't need to go we there don't talk again. About COVID. You don't, we don't talk about COVID. Understood. Um, no, nor Bruno, which exactly. is, I know exactly. Yeah. I think we think we watch the same things with kids, multiple of them with yes. kids. I just watch it on my own. Exactly. <laughs> or on your own. That's not bad. Okay. So Rush Creek, uh, is a bigger church. You, did you grow up? This is what we call a leading question. Cause okay, I thank know you. the answer. Yes. Cam, did you grow up going to big churches, living in big cities? No, Jim, I did not. What? Thank you for the question. I had no idea where you were going with it. No, I, w- I grew up in middle of Washington State uh, on the West Coast. Fun fact, this is another one of the s- several podcasts where we are all natives of the state of That's Washington. That's true. Different counties. King County, Kitsap. What county were you in? Wenatchee? Uh, Douglas County. County? Douglas, Douglas County. County? Okay. That sounds right. Okay. I could be wrong. Were you born in Washington? I was actually born in California. Ooh, I was born in Arizona. Oh, all over. Where Washington, were you born, Jim? Seattle. Oh, uh, lame. Well... <laughs> All right. True blood. True blood. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, born in California. My parents moved up to Washington when I was less than a year old and so spent majority of my uh, childhood, uh, specifically in the small town of Kashmir. Kashmir, Which is like central Washington. Which is like central central. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right where the Columbia River comes through uh, before it heads south to the border. Um, But... Yeah, so grew up in Kashmir, but went to the Leavenworth Church, uh, Leavenworth, Washington, Cascade Mountain Bible Church. We talked to Nathan Killian a yeah. few weeks ago, who yes. is a resident of Leavenworth. We talked about the Krampus. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Krampus? It's like the anti-Santa Claus. The Krampus? It's similar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, 
he lives in Leavenworth. He does, and it's actually his father-in-law, Tim Heath, correct, who started the church out there. Started the church. Started the church out there. Wow. Currently pastoring. And full circle. No, he's not currently pastoring that church. But he came back. Yeah. He's At one there. point in time, the church split, and yeah. he came back okay. and pastored that church in the aftermath of the split. Okay. And so uh, you grew up going to that church. I did. So paint a picture of what church life was like in Cascade Mountain yeah, Bible Church. Yeah, Cascade Mountain Bible Church in Leavenworth, Washington. Uh, yeah, church was um, maybe anywhere from 75 to 100 people uh, before the split, mm. uh, and then maybe went down to like 20 people after the split, which would have happened, man, this is a long time ago. I remember being in, in like early high school, so I was maybe like ninth grade, eight, maybe even eighth grade, um, and... And I think that's one of the lasting memories I have is that after the split, Tim Heath came back to pastor and myself and my brother and my sister uh, were the only kids in the church at the time. Uh, and so we had a thriving youth ministry uh, of just three townlies. What um, was that like as a kid? Did you like not like it? Did you say, I don't want to go because there's no other kids there? Or was it just this is my church? And so it wasn't even a question whether or not you were going to keep going. No, we, so I think actually at different times we had gone to even a few other churches, even non-GGF churches, just because there was still a decent drive for us. At one point in time, we moved to a city that was even further from Leavenworth. How um, far was is so, Kashmir from uh, So Kashmir is probably like a 25-minute drive. Okay. But one point in time, we moved to a city called Wenatchee, which is a bigger city, but a little bit further away. It's probably yeah. a good 45 minutes. How'd uh, you like those apples? Oh, <laughs> love those apples. Wenatchee <laughs> is the apple capital of the world. And uh, that's, a, that's a good reference right there. Yeah. Uh, we Hold on. Sidebar. Have you guys tried a Cosmic Crisp apple? This no. is a new variety that I've discovered over the last maybe three or four months. What? It's got... So we all know honey... Is it out of this We world? all know honey crisp. <laughs> we all know honey crisp, right? And how yeah, great yeah, they yeah. are. This has all of that, yet it adds something that I would not have originally thought would be good. You know when you eat a red delicious apple, which nobody eats, it gives you that weird like tannin, like bitterness in your mouth? Sure. Which on its own is... I don't know why anyone would choose that. I feel like that. we're talking like about micro-brews. Like yeah. <laughs> but when you combined a little bit of that into the sweetness of a honey crisp it's this very intriguing taste and feel that i highly recommend you try out the cosmic crisp cosmic apple. crisp i just haven't been able to bring myself to pay that much for an apple well they're mm, cheaper they're cheaper than a honey crisp which is another part of what? the drop because it's like i believe it's kind of like a mutt like you take a purebred honey crisp and take a red delicious which is like 99 cents a pound and when you hybrid them <laughs> together, you're like bringing down the purity, but it creates a unique, uh, wow. a unique joy. So Cosmic Crisp, check it out. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. Thanks, James. All right. So Wenatchee. Yeah, Wenatchee. Wenatchee. So it was yeah, moved yeah, a little yeah. further we're away. Talking about, we're talking about you being yeah. one of three kids in a, in a church yeah. and what that did for you and your desire to be a part of that church, not be a part of that church, whatever that church. Yeah, I, so I think we, I think we, um, at different times, had gone to a couple of different churches as well, just because of of the long drive. But when the church split, it was a call to go back to the church a little bit and mm. to be part of its ministry and to help it kind of recover from just a devastating process. Right? It's painful. A majority of the people left with the split, um, and and it was a, a remnant few that had stayed. Um, Is that something you felt? You felt no. It's definitely, some, it's definitely something that my parents felt. Yeah, um, and especially as Tim Heath came back to pastor that church in in the aftermath of it, um, just a just a thankfulness for Tim's willingness to yeah. do that. And so my parents felt a, a call to kind of go back and help that process. Um, but certainly that kind of dripped into you. It's yeah. like we're gonna go and be part of this church, even though it's not the flashy, right. most exciting, but it's our church, our community. Right. We're gonna be part of helping yeah. it. I think so, certainly. So this might jump quite a bit ahead, yeah. but what was the transition like from that kind of childhood experience to now you're the lead pastor, what's your title? Yeah, lead pastor. Yep. Lead pastor of a church of hundreds of people, Yeah, you know, several, you know, 20 times bigger than the church you grew up in. Right. What has that been like for you? So I think two things. Uh, I think one... That transition maybe is a little bit more noticeable from the standpoint that I think even uh, 
some of the giftings and skill sets that the Lord has given me lend itself to some of that in terms of outside of my church experience, um, I had always been fairly theatrical. I had done a lot of theater. Leavenworth has a thriving theater That's scene. That's right. Sound of Music. Leavenworth Summer Theater. Uh, and it's a Bavarian town, if you don't know anything. It's kind of like Frankenmuth on steroids. Oh, our, our listeners know. Okay. All right. They know. <laughs> and uh, so they had a summer theater program, and with the Bavarian theme, they did Sound of Music like every single summer. And so I was in that like for four years straight. What as, was your... So I was uh, Kurt, the younger child, for yeah. the younger boy for yes. two years, and then uh, Friedrich, the older son, for, oh, for two years. Friedrich. Never got to be Rolf, who got to kiss right. Liesel, which right. was always like the dream, right? He becomes yeah. a Nazi. I, oh, that's true. Okay, thank you. But but he lets them go, you know, so he's... Uh, okay, yeah, still, right, thanks for clarifying that. I appreciate that. So anyways, um, so theater was always a part of my background. I really appreciated that. And in some ways... This is going to sound crazy. I had a little bit of a dream in high school of maybe trying to go to Hollywood and do the theater or the movie or, or trying to make it that way kind Cam of thing. Cam goes to Hollywood. Cam goes to Hollywood. And and where I thought that was maybe my plans, the Lord took that and said, yeah, but I think I can use some of these giftings that I've given you, not for your own um, kind of glory, but mm-hmm. for mine in terms of, of being um, in front of people from a preaching and teaching standpoint. Mm. Um, and that's just not where I saw the Lord taking that, but obviously parts of, of how he's wired me um, and created me to speak into that, that process. So that's been, that's been an exciting way in which I saw God use something um, in ways that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Aside from like the Sunday morning yeah. kind of preaching, teaching, yeah. one of the, I think the, the biggest dynamic changes between a, a small church like you experienced in Leavenworth and a church where you're at in Rush Creek is you're moving from a place where essentially all of the ministries can be directly overseen by the pastor. Right. And maybe even run by the pastor right. because when you have 25 to 50 people, that's, that's you that uh, you're able to do that. Yeah. When you go to a church of, of hundreds Rush Creek where you guys are at now, you are not personally able to, oversee every ministry maybe not even participate in every ministry you just you just cannot do that right and so that's a big change and a big shift in in perspective of what is the role in the pastor when it of the pastor when it comes to these different ministry kind of capabilities in the church so what it was that like i mean did you did you have you do you not even think about like well this is what i learned in leavenworth like, does that not even kind of factor into your mind because you were so young? You maybe never even thought about what it took to, to lead a church like that? I think that's definitely true from the standpoint that, um, you know, as I as I was growing up in high school, um, you know, I I never really thought the Lord was going to lead me into ministry. So I was never sitting at yeah. the Leavenworth Church going, man, what would it be like to run this church? Yeah. Now, at the same time, when I started stepping into ministry and I, and I started worshiping at Rush Creek, which is pretty quickly into my career. So I got here in 2006 and by 2007 I was dating my wife and was then attending Rush Creek with her. So it always it's always the wife brings you into the church. It definitely was. Um, Lord used her in a powerful way. <laughs> but uh, so from that my church experience basically as soon as I uh, kind of got into my college career I had almost always been at Rush Creek. And so even as I'm going through school, even as I'm at Grace Bible College and even at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, I'm, I'm thinking about it from the context of what would it look like to be in ministry uh-huh. and a pastor at Rush Creek. Yeah. But at the same time, one of the things that was really formative for me in thinking about being a pastor at um, the Leavenworth Church was, as I was feeling that call into ministry, I was feeling, I was feeling this opportunity to say to the Lord, okay, I, you've put people around me to speak this truth into my life, to speak this calling into it, to help me understand your calling on my life to go into ministry. But I, I kind of have some stipulations. And maybe this is my like fleece moment, right? Yeah. I'm kind of like, okay, God, if you really want me to step into ministry, here's a couple things that I would love to see happen. Because I know myself uh, fairly well, and I know some things that would be really difficult for me to do ministry in, and things that would be more likely for me to have a successful ministry, not even for my sake, but just for the Lord's sake and for whatever church I'm a part of. So a couple of those things were, uh, I know that I am people-oriented to such a huge degree. I love being in community with people. Isolation is the kind of thing that scares me, especially extended isolation. So doing ministry in isolation would be really difficult for me. Right. Um, and so I was like, Lord, I, I would love to be able to be a part of a church where there's uh, a couple staff members, where it's not just me. 
um, so that I have people to uh, bounce ideas off of and to build relationship with and work in community with. Um, and not just like the lay people of the church, but but in leadership right? Uh, and, and on our staff. So I would love a church that has, um, you know, maybe a couple people on staff, which isn't, a, a, you know, a lot of our churches within the GGF. Right. Right. So I knew I was already asking a lot. Uh, I said family was really important. I would love to be at a church that's maybe located close to uh, some of our family as Lindsay and I were getting married. Uh, my grandparents, Bryce and Char Townley, were a huge part of my life growing up. And likewise, I wanted that for my own kids eventually. And so, you know, my parents lived in Destin, Florida at the time, which doesn't have a Grace Church nearby. But all of Lin- Lindsay's family lives here in Grand Rapids, or at least a large majority of them. So I was hoping for a church maybe in Grand Rapids. I also knew that I didn't want to be a lead pastor right away. I was, you know, 21, 22 when I'm asking the Lord about this call into ministry. And I said, I would love the opportunity to learn underneath someone and to be like an associate pastor to start off. But I also knew that I wasn't really feeling called to be a student pastor. And so many of our of our uh, pastors uh, in the GGF, if you know, if you're not the lead pastor, then you're the student pastor, whether you want to be the student pastor or not. Um, because that's kind of a natural progression for many of our, our churches and our and our pastors. So all these things are kind of coming together, uh, and and it really kind of came down to, well, there's there's maybe only one church that could really fulfill that to a certain extent, and it was our Creek, where I already happened to be, and there's a natural progression there. And I'm not saying I deserved God being like, okay, you're going to throw all these objections into, into you my You win path. this round, exactly, Townley. Right? Um, you know, not everybody gets that, and I certainly didn't deserve that, but it definitely, like, quieted Mm. every single objection that I could come up with as to why I shouldn't go into ministry. And and then the Lord's grown me through that process, saying even all those things that you thought you had to have, like, you didn't really need. But it almost felt like God saying, but I'm going to just just throw those objections uh, exactly out of the way mm. so that you have no longer any reason why you should not feel me calling you into ministry. Well, with all those stipulations, as you put it, it seems like you can be pretty sure of that calling Yeah, because there's never a draw anywhere else. There's never, you know, you're not looking to, right. to go somewhere else and you're not looking to like get a better ministry, bigger church. There is no corporate ladder for a term of a reference because that's uh like you're there you're exactly where god wants you to be and where you wanted to be yeah. or needed to be and but at times it's tough though because it can feel like well then you know was i just trying to set myself up to be at you know the bigger church or one of the bigger churches um within our our fellowship and and i always want to speak to that aspect of uh, personally speaking and it's easy to say because i'm at rush creek but personally speaking i don't think god has a perfect sized church he can't Right, I think all of our churches are called to specific opportunities, and and each church has its own strengths and difficulties depending upon what size they are. One of the things you know, we are a bigger church at Rush Creek. We're not massive. I think comparatively within the Grand Rapids area, there are you know fifteen, twenty, thirty churches or more that are significantly bigger than we are, and that's okay. But within the context of of the Grace Gospel Fellowship. Um, We are certainly one of the larger ones. And yet with that, we have both uh, difficulties and opportunities. Uh, I think one of the difficulties that we have at at a church our size is it's a lot harder for people to find deep, meaningful relationship quickly at our church. It's a lot easier for people to sneak in the back door, sit in the back row and sneak out and not be engaged. Whereas I can remember at the Leavenworth Church, um, we would we would have people come in, and I think every single person in the church greeted them instantly because you could just you just knew when there's 40, 50 people, you know everybody in the church. Welcome. Exactly. It's almost yeah. maybe a little bit creepy at times, yeah. right? We're so glad you're here. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Yes. Oh. No, for sure. That is that's absolutely true. Well, and and not only that, I can remember at the Leavenworth Church, we would in the midst of our of our service on a Sunday morning when we would have prayer time. Uh, you know, the pastor could go up there and literally say, hey, who has prayer requests today, yeah. right? And people would just raise their hands, like, in the middle of the service and 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 just say, hey, I have a prayer request. And then we would, we would so you could even say to the new people, hey, you guys are new. Do we have any, you know, things we can pray over you for, which is not necessarily what you're expecting as you walk yeah. into. I'm thinking, though, probably if you walk into that church, you kind of know what you're getting into, you know, in the same way that when you walk into a a bigger church, you kind of know what you're getting, you're getting into. I would think. But at the same time, when you walk into a church of, you know, 50, 60 people, you can pretty 
pretty instantly feel a connection to people as they're very intentional. Yeah. And so you can, if, if that doesn't scare somebody away because maybe it's too much, like you were just saying, then they're going to find the relationships they want pretty quickly. Right. Whereas it, at our church, it can be a lot harder. And we've wrestled with how do we plug people in? How do we get them off the sidelines and and move from um, you know just kind of attending to really investing and contributing into the life of the church and into building relationship? Because you can't, at our church, you can't build relationship with somebody in the five to 10 minutes before church and the five to 10 minutes after church. Um, there's just not enough opportunity there. You can build on something that's already been established as a foundation, but you can't start and initiate and have a full-fledged, deep and meaningful relationship with somebody where you're going to walk alongside somebody through the valleys and the hilltops of life that we often find. And so that is a massive difficulty that we have is helping to find meaningful relationship. And it's a lot easier for people to sit on the sidelines um, and, and maybe even take at times more of a consumer mindset for what worship looks like on mm-hmm. a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. In that, though, too, you spoke to this a moment ago, there's, in, in saying that God doesn't have a perfect-sized church, there's also a function, I think, and a role for that person who's alienated from church, mm-hmm. they're disaffected, maybe they're hurt by the church, or they've been gone a long time, and they need a space where they can come in yeah. and sit in the back. Be a little bit more anonymous. For yeah. however long, because that's, that's something they need, and that's healing that our smaller churches can't provide because right. we're almost, you know, desperate for more, uh, you know, yeah. membership and getting people yeah. to, to return and like us and yeah. and yeah. all those types of things. So, you know, I think in in highlighting that different sized churches do different things in right. the kingdom of God, that's that's a valuable contribution that everyone's making. And then you spoke to giving them that kind of an on ramp to get right. more involved as they're as they're ready to do that. Yeah. I think, and it's not that we can't do that. We just have to be way more intentional right. about how we help people move in that direction because it doesn't happen necessarily always supernaturally. And so we've talked about the fact that um, our churches often, as people come and visit, uh, we hear commonly how friendly our church is, which I love to hear. I, I can't necessarily, I don't know how to encourage that. I don't know what has happened to have our church be so friendly. But where people have struggled is in moving from friendly to feeling like they're part of the family of our church. So that's one of the things that we, we've talked about is how do we help people move from just the friendliness of our church to becoming part of our family? Um, and that's a difficult process that you have to kind of manufacture and yet still have an organic feeling to it as well. You can't force that, but you also have to put processes in place to help that along and yet somehow have them also feel organic, yeah. which is kind of hard. I do think that's probably, I mean, we, we face that same thing at okay. Celebration too. Yeah. And that part of me... Obviously, I want it to be smoother. I want people to be it. But at the same time, I also recognize that just as in a a real family, like you have years of built experience and relationship and memories and stuff that happens over time that kind of creates those. And so that naturally is going to kind of create, you don't want to say a wall, right? right? But in the same way that your family has this like, specific identity because of those experiences. I think churches tend to do that as well. The problem is that we all need to work on is how do we get it, create an on-ramp for people to get into that and to be part of that. And to, yeah, but it takes time, I think. Yeah. So tell me about, um, what it's like for you to pastor. Mm. And when I say pastor, I don't mean to run the church, but to be a pastor of a congregation of people that I don't, do you know everybody in your church? No, I don't. Okay. So how, what is that? How do you do that? Cause I know you well enough to know I can ask you this question because yeah. I know you do a good job at this and you care about this. You're not just getting up there and speaking to a blankless, right? A blankless, a faceless. I knew what you mean. Yeah. So how does that, how does yeah. that look like for me? Like it's easy because I only have, you know, a hundred and something people, but for you, how do you do that? That is, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think it was, it's been a little bit of a stretch for me as I was the associate pastor I I had underneath John Spooner um, for about six years from 2013 to 2019. I felt like I had more opportunity to 
uh, engage our people. Maybe not on a Sunday morning where I'm preaching. Right. John did most of the preaching when I was associate pastor. Um, but I had the freedom and flexibility that I could make it to more hospital visits and right. I could you know, do more phone calls. And, and that was one way that I could help alleviate him um, because I knew that, that people were more likely to want his time than my time as the associate pastor. And so um, they wouldn't necessarily uh, reject my time. Right. <laughs> may not have been as, as valuable yeah. as John's time, oh. but still... Thanks for coming, Cam. Exactly. No, they was were super John kind. busy. <laughs> <laughs> we sent the the B team to come and visit you at the hospital. Uh, hopefully, hopefully your surgery goes uh, goes as well as it should. But uh, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, you know, I had more time, and so I have felt the pressure as I've stepped into the lead role. That yeah, I I can't visit as many people as I would like to. Yeah. Um, I can't make as many phone calls as I'd like to because I have more of a leadership team. So now it's part of of being a part of our elders and, and the elder meetings and deacons and trustees. Uh, and how do we ultimately kind of help lead the church overall and cast vision, um, which is tough for me because I've, I've felt like um, at times my gifting and my skill set and my desire for people and to be in relationship with people um, would maybe lend itself to a smaller church where I could be everything to everyone. Sure. Um, and and so I've I've wrestled with God's call on my life specifically to Rush Creek. Not that I'm going anywhere, but from the standpoint that is there somebody more suited to this leadership role mm. at Rush Creek than I am, who has a deep desire to to be friends with and to grow with and to walk alongside everybody in our church and just knowing that I cannot do that. I literally physically cannot do it. I would not have a marriage left. I would I would alienate my children. Uh, I would be a wreck and I would no longer even be fit for ministry at any church. Um, and so that's part of a grieving process for me is that I can't have a relationship with everybody in our Interesting. church. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, I think, and this is going to sound a bit sacrilegious because I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but even Jesus had his inner circle where he ministered to and discipled. Um, and then he had those that were the greater group of disciples. But even then he had, you know, the crowds that he would minister to. But sometimes he would also walk through a crowd and there'd be one person that he would minister to and heal even and then continue walking when you are guaranteed that there were other people in that crowd that could have used his healing power and and relationship, right? And so in that, I one of the things that I've had to wrestle with is, okay, maybe God has called me for this season as the lead pastor of Rush Creek to really be investing in the staff that surrounds me and in the leadership uh, so that likewise, just as at your church, Jim, um, you are ministering to your people so that then when they go into their workplaces and when they go into their families and when they go into um, their communities, you can't go into all of those places, right. but you are challenging them, calling them, encouraging them, filling them back up on a Sunday so that as they go out Monday through Saturday, they're pouring themselves out. Mm. And so I think that's maybe a little bit of, of what I've kind of come to see as part of my role or maybe even a significant part of it um, is to, in some senses, um, do what I can to pastor um, maybe more specifically, my staff, the leadership, the primary volunteers, those who um, are, are part of the more inner workings of our church, as they then care for and build relationships, even with people in our church, that I just simply won't be able to go as deep as I would like to. Yeah, and it's interesting how you talk about that, um, that there's almost this element of sacrifice, you know, yeah. like you would like, you would love to, uh, yeah. to be able to be the pastor to every person in that church, but you recognize that the role that God has called you to right now is different. And so there's a, a willingness to kind of set that aside. Right. Yeah. And that sounds like, as I, as I hear myself say it, it sounds kind of privileged. It's like, Oh, look at me. I'm sacrificing. No, I, I, I don't think that's not how I'm hearing it. Okay. I mean, I'm hearing it in the same way that part of the pastoral calling is that it's not perfect, yeah. you know, that yeah. it's not exactly what we would like if we could paint a picture of w what ministry would look like, but we still are faithful to it. And we mm -hmm. find a way to be faithful in the context that God has planted us, you yeah. know, in that particular community. So I think that's a, a, a cool thing. Well, and I appreciate that because, um, because I see it as one of maybe the trade-offs because it's, so it's aspects of, yes, I would love to have that depth of relationship with every person in my church. Right. Um, and I can't obviously, um, but the trade-off of that is uh, at Rush Creek, we do have opportunities to be able to uh, make an impact in ways um, that maybe other context ministries, churches wouldn't be able to have right. because of, of where we're located and who we are and, and the people involved in that process. And so 
Um, and that's one of the things that, that we're really excited about. It's even one of our uh, core values as a church is to be a leader within the Grace Gospel Fellowship mm. in terms of how we can make an impact, uh, how we can build people up, train them, and hopefully launch them into ministry opportunities, um, all those kinds of things that... Um, well, this is going to sound a bit lame, but with great power comes great responsibility kind of idea, right? We'll did you make that some, up? Uh, I did, actually, yes. Mm. Uh, great ability comes great accountability. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so in that, I think there's I think there's an awesome opportunity for us, but I always want to approach that as humbly as we can because we're not special, um, and we are, are no more beloved by God than any other church. Mm. Um, and and so I want to humbly walk into that with, with kind of palms open, um, but saying, uh, I think God has given us an opportunity to um, to be uh, an influence where we can, um, and so I'm just uh, excited about that opportunity in, in front of us as as a church, um, based upon what God has given us capacity to be able to do. Yeah, I think I think the way the only way that a congregation your size, or, or maybe I should say this, the only way you can faithfully pastor a congregation your size yeah. is to have humility mm. and to, to understand that the context that you're in, like is God has brought you there and God is using you there. Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a cool thing to hear you kind of speak in that way, you know, of we tend from those of us on the outside looking in at the big churches to think, Oh, you know, they're all, just think they're so cool and doing their own thing. And I've never thought that of you cam ever in my entire life, but we think that about others. <laughs> it's probably true but about them. <laughs> it is true about them, you, but you're it, very kind. so it's cool to, it's cool to kind of, to hear that there, well, there is goodness. We can, maybe someday we can follow up with, cause I would love to learn like the yeah. inner workings of like, how did you come to the self-awareness around that? Because like avoiding the pitfalls, of a large ministry right. is not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, there are special dangers that go along with that. And, um, you know, you're coming at it from a perspective that says, I want to be healthy with this. I want to mm-hmm. do the best I can to care for my congregation and yeah. my family and to, to hold all those things with reverence and humility. Uh, and, and it's, and, and there's no ego, you know, no one gets ego coming off of you. I, I might've when you were 19, but <laughs> yeah. only, only a little, <laughs> You know, it was there. It was there. I've hopefully uh, allowed the spirit to work on that ego. Um, so, Cam, one of the things that we like to do with every guest is ask, what is the greatest joy that you have in your ministry? Mm-hmm. And then what's the most difficult thing or the biggest grind of ministry for you? The greatest the greatest joy and the greatest grind. Um, I think one of the greatest joys, and this is... Um, this is going to be a, maybe a little bit self-serving is uh, in the sense that as as I was really young stepping into my ministry, uh, I was 25 when I first stepped into the associate role, but I was 23 when I started as an intern. Um, I made a lot of uh, probably mistakes and showed a lot of immaturities in those processes. Uh, and yet for some reason, when um, the opportunity came up to step into the lead role in 2019 um, and my church saw fit to ask me to step into that that lead pastor role at the age of 31, I think one of the greatest joys was seeing a church that was willing to um, look at the future rather than the past uh, and was willing to be able to say, hey, despite the fact that maybe this guy hasn't um, shown all of the maturity that we would have liked him to have seen, they showed grace and said, we think the Lord can use you in a powerful way um, and we're willing to um, move in that direction, not based upon what I had done, but p- based upon what they believed the Lord would do in and through me um, into the future. And that was overwhelming in terms of its affirmation uh, of God's working and moving in my life. I can specifically think of three different times, three different congregational meetings where Dr. Sam Vinton uh, stood up and, and either A, came to my defense, or B, indicated why he was going to vote for me on something, um, and as I think about a guy who I also, I probably slept through more Sam Vinton classes than your classes, Matt. So I hope that that <laughs> encourages you. Um, and yet Sam Vinton at, you know, almost 90 years old, uh, I just love his ability to overlook, 
um, or at least not allow past experiences to jade him in terms of what the Lord is doing in somebody's life towards the future mm. and the grace that he has shown. And so I, I guess all that to say, one of the greatest joys for me is, is the grace that I've received from my congregation mm. in terms of the growth that hopefully I've been able to evidence through the Lord's leading in my life over the now almost 10 years I've been in ministry at Rush Creek. Um, it's a grace that I don't deserve. And it's one of my greatest joys because I'll, I'll never forget taking a class in seminary where we literally read a book that was called When Sheep Attack. Um, and it was about congregation members. Sheep NATO. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that were just, you know, Sheeps just on a plane. attack. So I, I had this feeling of um, preparing myself, stealing myself for the f- the, the ever-present or ever-coming, right, um, mm-hmm. attack of, of congregants towards me. And the Lord has just graciously um, not not had that be my experience in ministry. So one of my yeah. greatest joys is that it's been a relatively um, pain-free experience with congregants who want to just, you know, just kind of rip India. Um, hearing those horror stories about, you know, guys who'd preach sermons and get done and at the back of, of the, um, you know, auditorium would be guys, you know, ready to tell you all the things you didn't like about your sermon. Yeah. And and my congregation has graciously encouraged me as a young guy ministering when I've preached sermons that I know were terrible and they had nothing but nice, nice things to say to me about them. Um, that has been one of the greatest joys. And it, it feels really selfish to say that because it's a joy that's about me. Um, but in that, I feel like it's a joy that comes from the Lord continuing to show me grace through my congregation. Yeah. And, and not everybody has that experience. Yeah. And that could change in the future. It may not be a joy that I receive 10, 20 years from now, but right now that's been a really yeah. gracious thing. That's great. All right, what about the grind? All right, the grind of ministry. I think the grind of ministry for me is um, maybe just feeling like, and I guess we've spoken to it a little bit, that I will never have enough time to be able to um, engage with all the people that I would like to mm. in my church. And therefore, it's maybe the like we talked about the grieving process um, of feeling like I'm always letting somebody down. Um, like if I had more time, I, I could have met the need of that person. And if I had more time, I could have I could have been there for that person or every funeral I have to miss or every hospital visit I wasn't able to get to. Um, and that's a grind because that's never going to end. And, and thankfully, that's not just a... Um, a church of our size problem. I know you feel that same grind and that same pain. And so maybe this is a, a bad grind. It's not really a grind as much as it is just like a weight. Yeah. Um, but the daily process of that weight, that that pressure uh, of feeling like I need to be at everything, I need mm. to do everything, which is maybe one of the benefits. I don't want to take it away from the grind side. Maybe one of the benefits of a church my side is, is I have to grieve that process because it it's I can't do it. Right. A church your size, you might have right. the thought that the Lord yeah. or that the enemy puts in you that you can do it. You yeah. have to do it all because there's nobody yeah. else and, and it's got to be you, Jim. Yeah. Um, and so in that, I had to kind of let that go early on in the process and say, no, I have other people. And part of my role is to, to shepherd them as they shepherd others. Um, but I still feel that weight, mm. um, partly because it's it's how God wired me to be so people oriented. Um, and, and even in that sense, kind of the extroverted side of me that just wants to do everything and be with everyone. Mm. And maybe a, a, another part of that is um, that maybe the grind is the effect that also has on my family. Um, mm. uh, my wife is incredibly gracious, um, but sh- there's also been times where, you know, in, in that, that daily battle of... of time management and priorities um, where, you know, she's graciously asked the question, you know, why is it that you can say uh, no to us uh, far easier than you can say no to everybody else at times? And so, and and she's absolutely right. Right. And so that balance of what that looks like. So balance is a difficult grind there. I don't know. That's probably not a great answer. That's a good one. No, that was, that was really good. Uh, okay, last question. Okay. Do you have any book re- recommendations for our vast listening audience of at least 13? Of, of 13, yes, okay. Not 13 uh, books. No, understood. 13, 13 listeners. listeners. Yeah. Um, well, I was listening to the podcast you did with with Danny and John Michael, and, and they both stole some of the books I've been reading recently mm. in terms of uh, John Mark Comer. And, and Matt, you talked about that. And I found John Mark Comer last year from my brother who recommended him. And I, I read like everything he had because he just had um, a really easy way about him, but also it had depth to it. It was not just fluffy, um, but he speaks with a pastor's heart. So I really appreciated those. And then uh, one of the other guys, uh, and I've Here obviously it comes. Jim, Here it comes. mentioned Eugene Peterson. Hey. And I knew that would get a... a, a a like. A like from you. 
Yes. You I definitely s- get so a prize for that one. I smashed yes. the like button. So I've been reading uh, Run with the Horses uh, yeah. from Eugene Peterson. Um, but one that, so I had to come up with one that I've read not too long ago that I really yeah. appreciated. And um, I really appreciated John Dixon. Uh, oh, yeah. And he wrote a book, I think it was last year, maybe it came out, called Bullies and Saints. Hmm. Um, and it was a historical look. I'm a big history buff. It was a historical look at the church. And Matt's smiling. I took a history class with Matt. That takes me back when the two of <laughs> you we took a history class. Oh, we did. Why did we not together. talk about this yet? Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. It was a self-study that was kind of thing. my last class. Oh, man. And it, I treated it like my last class. We could do an entire podcast just <laughs> about that could. class. We could. And uh, translating Baba V exactly. uh, audio tapes. I'm glad to have given you your love of history. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, so, so, Dixon so John book. Dixon, Bullets yeah. and Saints. It is an honest look at the nature of, of Christianity throughout history, hmm. both the good and the bad, and how at times we as Christians uh, have been bullies with our faith, and other times we've been more saint-like. And so I just appreciated his kind of honest approach, recognizing where the church has screwed up in the past, like looking at he does a great couple chapters on the crusades and some of the pain the massive pain that came from that in the name of jesus but then he also talks about the fact that how many uh you know millions if not billions of people have been um positively affected by uh the many um social programs or um just uh generous uh charities that are started in the name of christ uh throughout history um, so I, I really appreciated kind of the honest uh, approach that he takes. Is like, look, yeah, we have a lot to atone for, but there's so much good that has come mm. from Christianity as well. Um, and it was a, just a really helpful read, especially from a historical perspective. Bullies and saints. Bullies and saints. Okay, John Dixon. John Dixon. An Australian friend. He is, yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks, Cam. This has been great uh, to pry inside the mind of the megachurch pastor. Oh, thank you. And it was much, <laughs> much more beautiful than we were expecting how we could good stuff in there i appreciate it (laughs) you guys are kind and uh just thankful for the work you're doing the podcast has been great i love being able if you get your whole congregation to listen to this it will absolutely (laughs) boost our ratings oh i appreciate it yeah put the link out on your church website and they'll all listen put a qr code on your three uh, our projectors, our three screens. This Somehow it. get the laser show to like show the <laughs> QR. Code. We're waiting for that one episode that it's our breakout. That will episode. launch it. The breakout. This, this is might the be one. it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that that this is it, but uh, I appreciate the time with you guys. We're it's thankful for you, Cam. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Thank you. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation. Mm